Hi, welcome to the Play Infrastructure Podcast. Uh, my name is Kariki Faris, and I'm the host of the podcast. This podcast is graciously sponsored by VMware. Our guest today is Ranjit Charika, who is the CEO of Icolo, founder and CEO of Icolo, um, the largest independent data center provider in this region. Um, and we are just going to have a conversation about both his journey and Icolo um, as a DC provider in, in this market. And the first question is like a background question. Um, who is Ranjit and how did you end up in the data center space? Thank you, Faris. Um, I'm, <laughs> I was going to say, maybe you can fill in some of those gaps because when I first met you, you still had a full head of black hair. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> These things have clearly progressed. Yes. Um, so my, my background is basically tech. Um, I grew up in, in, in all over Africa. I grew up in Tanzania, in uh, Nigeria. Most of my tertiary education was, was done there. Um, I did go back to finish up my, or do my, my first degree in, in India. I'm a, I'm an industrial engineer by training. Um, I then did a master's in computer science in the U S. So as you do, I stuck around for a few years there and that's how I started. I got into tech. Um, I worked in the Valley for a little while and then eventually did my last gig was with, uh, with the telco and uh, with a, with a wireless provider there. And, um, then I moved to France to, to, to study again, to do an MBA. Um, after which I uh, worked for a little while in London with uh, Skype. That was very interesting for me because it was really a sort of global scale startup, which eventually got gobbled by eBay. And then, you know, so this, it's done its rounds, rounds now. Um, I worked to work for a big boring engineering company, Siemens, in, in Munich. Uh, it was very interesting because actually, you know, there was a big age gap between me and my managers. And they were pretty set in their lives. I was still quite hungry. And uh, that gave me a lot of interesting opportunities. So they, they, I did actually, it was the exact opposite of what happens when you go to work for a big company. Because they gave me full reign to, to do what I liked. And with some initial successes, Siemens eventually became Nokia Siemens. And uh, in 2011, I came to Kenya um, as the head of sales and business development for, uh, for Africa. Uh, for them. Uh, which eventually then became Nokia. 2013, I, I sort of, you know, just took a bit of a break, um, many reasons. Some people call it midlife crisis. I think I was just also just tired. Um, I then started working on uh, with a fund here, and then um, you know which where where we worked, uh, we invested in a lot of early stage startups. Um, I was also vested in it, and then and I had been doing a lot of early stage startup investment even prior to that. Uh, what I did realize in that in that year of trying to work is that I would actually much rather be across the table than you know, the one collecting, than the one writing the checks. Um, that's how I started thinking about data centers. And uh, I realized that is probably the la last large frontier in Africa when it comes to sort of telecom infrastructure. 2G, 3G, 4G to a certain extent was done. Um, but what data centers was going to do to the infrastructure here was, was just fundamentally going to change the way uh, information was delivered. Uh, or rather cash stored. Um, and I thought that would be an interesting way to build good infrastructure. So, yeah, that's that's a, that's a bit of my background. I'm married. I've got three kids. Um, yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, and and now just to jump in uh, from that, um, why did you start Icolo in particular? Like what led you into, um, like I know you've mentioned that it was sort of like the last frontier, but why in Kenya in particular? Because when you when you look at the markets, um, we we kind of had some players here already, and the other parts of the continent that were not served. So my my background in Nokia sort of 
meant that I wanted to do something of scale because Nokia provided telecom infrastructure to the large telcos, Safaricoms, MTNs. And, you know, so my my mind was always sort of tuned around that. So I wasn't very keen to do a Mickey Mouse startup with, you know, a bit of that. I wanted to build something that was of large scale. The other thing was, I mean, even though we had the internet everywhere else, certainly in Kenya as well, thanks to folks like Easy Seacom that came in in 2009, 10, uh, it wasn't ubiquitous. And part of that was, and I think it was, it had to do with infrastructure, not enough fiber in the ground. Um, but I thought, I'm not sure that anybody was was of the opinion that the, you know, you should try to improve the internet experience. And I thought, okay, it would be interesting to build infrastructure like data centers where the internet experience, you know, for the average Kenyan or the African is not any different from somebody that lives in Berlin or, you know, across Central Park in New York, uh, because that is, you know, it's 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 like oxygen these days. We, we, we need quite a bit of that. And that sort of started my thinking around, well, you know, how would you build a data center like that here? And the other thing that struck me is all the data centers in, in certainly in Kenya, but in other parts of the uh, region, were all driven by telcos or ex-telcos, which in itself actually defeats the purpose of the internet experience, the ubiquity of choice, uh, and so on and so forth. So, you know, there was certainly a model that fit into building a carrier neutral uh, purely co-location data center in, in Kenya. In Kenya, why? Partly because, you know, I think if you look at sub-Saharan Africa, even though I grew up in Nigeria, you know, it, there's chunk, there's basically three chunks because of population, GDP, you know, West Africa, East Africa, South Africa. South Africa was already well covered by a couple of other parties. West Africa in itself had other challenges and issues. Um, because I lived in Kenya, Kenya seemed like the right place to, to, to sort of think this. And I think that has really um, allowed us to also to... The other thing which I think goes well for Kenya is actually we do have a fairly open telecom policy and we've had it for many years now. The benefits of which we are actually seeing, I think, 15 years later, you know, uh, multiple fiber providers, enough competition, Yeah, perhaps not on the mobile space, but certainly at a, at an ISP level, um, you know, there is, there's very few barriers to entry. Um, and, and we're seeing quite a lot of that going. So yeah, Kenya was, in the end, not such a difficult choice to start something like this at. Um, and, and, and I think uh, history sort of will repeat itself as we go forward in other things okay. in the sector. Okay. And, and the next question is basically, what goes into building a data center? Like what makes for a good data center facility and what sort of investment are you looking at? So I think in the end, um, data centers are generally very difficult to design and even more difficult to execute. Um, you see, the, the you're you're fundamentally delivering security, power, cooling is what what as a data center you're you're providing as a facility. And of course, in that you have to also create a sort of communities of interest. Um, so outside of just building the infrastructure, you also have to bring the right set of in, uh, parties into that data center to make it successful. <clears throat> um, I would say it takes about a year to design a data center. And um, if you are going to spend $100 million on a data center, you'll probably spend $3 million just designing it. So, you know, you have to be prepared quite upfront with time and capital. And it just takes time. Um, in general, you know, around the world, if you're building a one megawatt power data center with, you know, which is approximately about 200 to 300 racks, you should be looking to send, spend somewhere between 9 to $12 million. Um, that's that's the typical cost. Uh, you can stagger some of those costs, but generally, 
you know, upfront your seven, eight million dollars out um, out of the door. And then, of course, as you grow bigger, as in when you do multiple megawatts, you get a little bit of scale, but not that much. Um, so that that is the the first part. Um, so about a year to design. It takes, I would say, about eighteen months. Um, we've been quite lucky in Nairobi. We we got our building out of the ground in about ten months, but typically about eighteen months to do a greenfield build. Um, the other alternative is, of course, you can fit out an existing building with a data center, but there's always complications with that. You know, how do you how do you fuel your gensets when you're on the tenth floor? How do you bring in telecom providers when you're on the tenth floor because suddenly they're doing now kilometers of fiber to just to get into your building? Uh, you're in a multi-tenant building, which of course means there's fire risk, um, security risks, so sort of thing. So I would say if you're going to build a greenfield multi-megawatt data center, then you know you, you, you need to have fairly deep pockets to, okay. to, to make it happen. Yeah. Um, and then you've raised quite a number of concerns, like and the, the differences between sort of like an isolated data center and one that's in an existing structure. What goes into cho- choosing, like what considerations do you think should go into choosing a colo provider? So I think in, in general, with most real estate projects, it's location, 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 right? So I think um, if you take in, uh, the Kenyan context, if you if you went and built a data center in Kajiado because land is cheap, um, you may be a little bit out of luck because you don't have the right level of power. You don't have any networks. Um, so you may have a nice big shiny data center, um, but you know fundamentally it's not connected, nor is it powered well, right? So uh, you do need to find a location where you've got some of the above working well for you. Uh, cost of build is also very important because I think ultimately in the end, um, you know, we're in a market where price, we're price sensitive. So you need to build well, but you need to build, you know, to budget. Um, so which of course means if you come to the center of Nairobi and build, then your real estate costs are silly. So you've got to pick a location where the numbers sort of make um, sort of sense. Um <clears throat> There are some other obvious factors to keep in mind as well. I mean, if you are near fire hazards, so if you're next to a large factory, um, you know, that that deals in latex or where there is a fairly strong fire hazard, then makes it even more difficult. There's a couple of fuel pump, uh, fuel depots next to you. Uh, if you are in the um, uh, sort of uh, flight path of airplanes near an airport, uh, those sort of things make it then not impossible, but trickier. So you need to have a good reason why you want to pick that piece of um, property. Access rights is the other thing that you can't, um, you know, you can't ignore because you've got fiber coming in, people going in the building out. So you sort of have to be in an area that is there. Then I think lastly, certainly security. So you want to be in an area where not just your staff, but your equipment, um, you know, there are no concerns um, around the the long-term security of that um, site. And um, so, you know, the cloud has sort of like become this, there's a lot of hype around the cloud. Um, and I know some multiple cloud providers are actually your customers. Yes. Why would you advise somebody to say choose Colo over cloud? Or when do you think it's the right call is to simply move to the cloud? So, I mean, I think cloud, I think ultimately in the end is to the benefit of humanity. So I think many people don't understand it from that perspective. It's another storage location, things like that. But I think principally what cloud does is it brings in efficiencies. You know, in the old days, if you had four computers, and each of ran it, each of us ran it at ten percent, then you know your total utilization is ten percent of four computers. But on the other hand, if you ran it from the cloud, um, you have much more efficiencies, and that of course means it's better for the environment. You've got better throughput, better replication. Um, 
So there are many very good reasons why you should go with the cloud. But cloud is not necessarily the solution for everybody. If you are in a in industry where your data is sensitive, um, you have regulations around your ability to manage that and access that, you can do it on the cloud, but almost certainly, if the cloud companies don't have a presence in country, then you're certainly in some sort of violation. Um, if you're working in a fairly dynamic environment where you feel uh, you need to run multiple services, um, which talk to each other, so telco, a bit of financial, this and that, may not be the right platform architecturally for you. And not, I'm not saying it cannot work, but latency may be an issue, uh, and there are multiple things that may come into play. Then, then I think finally, you know, ultimately in the end, um, when you get to a certain scale, the numbers around cloud stop making sense. And, you know, there are, you know, it is ultimately in the end, capital that you've invested in infrastructure, which is then shared across multiple parties. But if your volume is so high that you don't need to share with anybody, then what you, you know, your outgoings then tend to to be much larger than uh, what actually you have, um, you know, what, 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 what you would actually s sort of save. So I, I would say these are some of the reasons why you should consider co-location. Um, certain very specific sectors, so ISPs, um, banks, insurance companies uh, that are regulated by a regulator and data sovereignty is a big discussion. Uh, you may think of a private, sorry, a hybrid cloud model, uh, but generally one of the couple of instances should always uh, be in some sort of colo that you can control. And actually to that point, I think it was Dropbox that moved a lot of the infrastructure back into a private environment. Yes. After initially sort of using the public cloud. And on that note, like, who are some of the customers? I know that in the colo environment, there are quite a number of customers who insist on do not disclose away in your facility. Yeah. Are there some customers you can speak about freely? So I think, you know, we have uh, public domains where, where, you know, customers publish where, who, where they are. So PeeringDB is one of them. Um, so typically, if you if you look them up uh, and you know see who's in Mombasa One at our data center in Mombasa, uh, you'll see that we have a couple of platforms from around the world um, in in uh, PeeringDB. Um, <clears throat> so some of the large CDNs, which are quite popular, so some of the phone services we use, um, pictures. So you know, I think you get my drift. <laughs> yes, I do. Um, I think you'll find that you can pick up traffic from the internet exchanges at our data center. So we've got two data centers, two exchanges in our data centers, so Asteroid and KXP. Uh, you can pick up Google traffic from both them, both of them directly. Um, you can pick up um, a couple of people. So I think a couple of different traffics. In in our in our Nairobi, in our Mombasa data center, we have 37 different networks. So effectively, most of the ISPs, MNOs uh, that operate in Kenya of some scale have a presence. Uh, in in Mombasa one, so Safaricom, et cetera, et cetera. And again, as I mentioned, they're all on peering DB, and you'll see that they are there. We also, in addition, have a couple of uh, international ISPs as well um, that are there. So I think generally the you know the nuts and bolts of a well well built communities of interest you know that you'd find in a Marseille in Europe or in a Frankfurt, you'll you'll certainly start seeing you know the exoskeleton of that already in our data centers um, and they're typically driven by you know about 50 global customers um, and you'll find a lot of them actually with uh, with us uh, yeah so at some point i was 
almost a customer, yes. you could say. Yes, that's right, uh, you were. And uh, yeah, I, I basically began to see that. Like Initially, when, when I got into the cloud space, there were no... Uh, there were no career neutral facilities. Mm-hmm. Like you sort of had to work with an ISP or a telco. And to move from that to being able to sort of have multiple exchanges in one, um, in, in, in career neutral facilities and having all these other facilities coming up is actually remarkable in the amount of time. Because I think that was 2014. It's been seven years. And That's the right. industry has changed completely. Absolutely. Yeah. If you remember, I mean, I, we did talk about it. One of the big drivers for our uh, our ability to develop networks and build um, content, et cetera, is the cost of IP transit. And um, I think when we started it in 2014, I, I did make the comment that, you know, it's now floating around $50 a meg. That's long gone. We opened uh, Mombasa one in 2017. And I'm pretty happy to say that's now, you know, floating around $2. Uh, and I'm pretty confident that by the end of next year, um, you're probably going to see it somewhere around 25 to $50, which is a remarkably different number when it comes to connectivity and the user experience, and as well for developers and content uh, manufacturers here to actually scale their operations, right? And actually, it's 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 a it's a bit because we was the first company I started. We were a subscale provider, mm. so our connectivity costs were around three to four hundred dollars. That's in, right. Between yeah, depending like one was two hundred dollars, the other one was around three hundred dollars, but it was not cheap. Mm. Yeah. Um, and what's your view of the competitive landscape in the data center space? Like, what are the threats, weaknesses that you see? Because suddenly, it's like there's a data center announcement. Like there was one in Uganda the other day. There have yep. been multiple in Kenya. Yeah, yeah. Uh, multiple projects announced. Like, what's your view? Do you think there's enough sort of? And another lead, another question, just sort of related. Do you think there's enough demand for all these projects? So I think in the end, you know, like most good things, it attracts a lot of different kinds of you know, um, flora and fauna, yeah. <laughs> for the lack yeah. of a better way to put it. Um, I do feel there is a lot of genuine interest in building good infrastructure, you know, in, in general. Uh, as I mentioned, I think it's very hard. Uh, one of the things that we are very fortunate to have been able to do is that uh, not only are, are our data centers built by Kenyans, they're also operated and run by Kenyans. Um, so as a result, I think we have a fairly good feel. I'm not a Kenyan, but, you know, <laughs> uh, everybody else in, in at, at Icolo is. Um, and I think we have a very good feel for what the market is looking for. Um, and as such, we are able to build to that. And I think that's one of the big disconnects. What I find is a lot of people are telling the customer base that, hey, you need a lot of capacity, so here you go. But we're not willing to give you the right price points um, because we've spent all this money building it. So I think we 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 watch cautiously what people are doing. I think there's there's magic points along what scale you're building how you're filling it out, um, what your plan is. That will also ultimately uh, derive, you know, how successful you are. So don't forget, to to build this, you need a lot of money. And you need extremely patient capital. There we are quite fortunate because our parent, uh, one of our main investors is uh, Digital Realty. You know, and they're a $40, $50 billion listed company. Um, This is their core business. They understand the pace of the business. They're very patient. Uh, They build world-class infrastructure. So as a result, for us, you know, we don't have to make any explanations on where the market is going and how it will evolve. They understand it very dearly, um, which is not the situation I find a lot of our competitors have, because they have just very pure capitalistic pressures on return of investment, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so 
is there demand? Yeah, I certainly think there is. You know, um, when when Kenya got independence, we had six million people. We have fifty million people today. When I came to Nairobi in two thousand eleven, we had about three three point one million people in Nairobi. There's four point eight million people today. These are substantially strong numbers, and the growth uh, in all ways, the, the GDP in Kenya was was nine was about forty five billion. Now we're about a hundred. So you know we are doubling and growing at a rate that most parts of the world don't understand. Um, fundamentally, the way we build networks, the way we build applications, software is now all around the cloud, all around data centers. It may change in 30 years. Um, so I can't see that going backwards or the demand waning. I certainly see that explosion of growth continuing. Um, I do feel some of it need, still needs to be built around the concept that you're building not at scale or you're building at scale for an African customer that wants it at the same global competitive prices that you get in other parts of the world. Um, so, so I think we are, we're definitely at a point where you will find some more successful than others. Uh, but I also feel, you know, I think ultimately in the end, it keeps us all honest to see a bit of competition and, and, and certainly the customers will, or consumers will decide in the end uh, whose products they like. Um, and related to that, um, what's your view on the tech landscape in Kenya? It's exciting. It's very, very exciting. So I feel ultimately in the end, um, you know, we have, so my background is software and about 10, 15 years ago, or maybe 20 years ago, when you, when you wrote code, it's quite hard. Um, you needed multiple skills. You need to know a bit of embedded programming. Uh, that's changed now uh, quite significantly. And it's extremely impressive that, you know, at, even at a high school level, in Kenya, how kids are able to program, are able to understand, uh, and they don't know it differently. You know, build an app, run it. Um, and I feel at the, at the forefront of uh, what is happening around Africa, because of our liberalized economy, because of simple concepts like M-Pesa, uh, you know, I think everybody thinks, well, this is how it works. You know, and we have a population that's 75% uh, below the age of 30. Um, you know, I don't think we have the the sort of the the baggage of saying this is. So I I think from a tech perspective, we are very very lucky to be able to um, to say that you know we're certainly prepared for for what is now more or less a technology driven future for most of the world, but certainly us for us here. Tell us more about your exit. Um, I call it one of the few tech exits in this country. Um, few people know that you actually sold. Um, I discovered through a random press release from some news site I follow. <laughs> um, why did you sell? So I, I've, to be quite honest, I haven't sold anything. I'm still very much in the business. I haven't, I haven't recovered any capital yet. Um, I'm still there. And, you know, from an investment perspective, whatever I put in on day one is still very much part of the equity base of the company. But as I mentioned to you, you need copious amounts of capital. To give you an example, you know, we've, we've spent about $20 million already in Kenya. And uh, exactly. And we are on track to spend much, much more in the next four or five years. Uh, trying to build a cap table that supports this constant infusion of capital is impossible. If you want to continue building and keeping pace with what we are. So when we built Mombasa 1, even Nairobi 1, I didn't get any pre any customers sign up before we opened 
But now that we've opened them, we've been able to prove these businesses work well and um, customers need the demand. We have just started construction on a third site in Mombasa and uh, we'll start our fourth one in Nairobi as well at, at, at some point uh, soon. Uh, I wanted to be prepared to be able to deliver um, those data centers without compromising on how much capital we raised, uh, be able to hire the right sort of staff, be able to train them. Uh, so this is the reason why we ended up going with a, a sort of a model where I, of course, as a founder of the company, uh, wasn't necessarily in control of the company, but very much in the driver's seat. Um, we have extremely good shareholders who understand the business, who are committed um, to building, you know, sort of very good infrastructure. Um, so in many ways, yes, you could say that a lot of our old other shareholders have exited, but not, you know, from, from my perspective, I'm still very much um, there, <laughs> and I, I intend to be around. Um, and then the, the next one is you've been talking about all these um, projects that you're running, and you just before we started um, the podcast, you mentioned that you've put up a you're putting up a 2400 truck facility in Karen. Can you tell us more about that facility? If, if I'm not wrong, it'll be the largest in this region, and sort of like what. And, and it has some insane power demands. Like, how are you balancing all of this? So, I think that was all part of the vision when we started this in 2013, 2014, or started thinking about how to build something that was of scale. So, we found land. Um, we picked Karen partly because um, it has very good connectivity because it's, it's it's been a suburb that's always had people that wanted connectivity. Um, it's had um, It had a good power infrastructure. Um, our location also allowed us to be about one and a half kilometers away from a, a 66 kV substation. Um, so when we when we built Nairobi One, I also wanted to build a sort of facility that allowed us to host um, satellite operators, so VSAT operators. We, of course, as I mentioned, we don't do anything on the connectivity side, but be able to. The reason for that was um, to get to the bottom of the pyramid of, of consumers in Africa. A lot of them will not have the luxury of connectivity in a conventional sense like fiber and the rest of them it'll have to be through wireless or satellites um having for a satellite operator having a sort of world-class you know tier three data center that's well connected right next to a satellite teleport allows all sorts of magic to happen for the end consumer so we had always had that in mind and then as you add more connectivity partners to this the compute guys want more space, which typically means you need much larger facilities. Um, and what we did very successfully is also position Kenya to get some of those satellite operators, these platforms to think about the fact that, well, okay, the infrastructure is there. There's great connectivity. There's multiple, we have, I think about 10 fiber guys, you know, the building's only 18 months old, but we have 10 fiber connectivity partners already in the building. Um, so we bought about five acres of land last year in Karen, adjacent to our property. Our campus now in in um, Karen is about eight and a half acres, so about 36,000 square meters. As a standalone campus, this now certainly becomes among the largest in Africa, if not the largest. I mean, certainly in the first top three. Um, and I can't say that was not the vision from day one. It was always what we wanted to do. Um, again, as I mentioned, in order to be able to deliver internet at the quality and you know at, at a at an experience level that is similar to somebody that has uh, that lives in 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 the developed markets you do need to think about the long term and scale so um some of the new data centers we'll build 
will be substantially larger than what we have. So I'm, I mean, I'm talking magnitudes of 10 times. Um, and I think the, the reason we're doing that is, is because I think that's ultimately where we think the demand in, this, in, in Kenya will be or in the region. By also building this sort of infrastructure, what we also do effectively are trying to do is make Kenya the gateway to East Africa and in many ways to Africa. What used to happen in the past was uh, when a new fiber system or a new cloud system was thinking about Africa, it always went to South Africa. I think now people understand when the fiber comes or the subsea cables comes, actually they end in South Africa. When you're in Kenya, well, you're halfway to Europe and you're halfway to South Africa, uh, which is a better location. So you wouldn't be able to have that discussion if you didn't have the infrastructure. That gap we have now filled. And that's that's effectively where we are um, uh, moving to. Yeah. And are you free to speak about like the cost and the timelines for this facility? Um, costs are a bit tricky, uh, but you know, I've given you some indicators in general, you know, when you're, when you're building a five to 10 megawatt facility, you know, you, you do need copious amounts of capital, but, um, timelines are imminent. So, I mean, as I mentioned, we, we have, I think close to 20 network operators already in Nairobi one. Um, we have quite a few, we have about 50 enterprise customers or 50 customers in the building uh, there and thereabouts. So we, we are actively looking to create new space, um, you know, for our customers. So they, we will be following up with some announcements on on the scale, the amount, and, and when we are. But in general, the the the, the campus is ready. Um, and, and we continue to sort of work on it to, to, to scale it. Um, and the final question is, um, what's the future of Icolo? Like, where do you see yourself, you know, where do you see Icolo in the next five to 10 years? Are you going regional or...? Yeah, so we, we do have um, we do have a couple of countries we've looked at, and I think in the short term we do have uh, something we'll announce soon. Um, that is a country we've worked on. In fact, we already have some staff on the ground, and uh, we are actively moving towards uh, make, getting ready for some of our customers that that want to be there. Um, I think our focus will still primarily be within East Africa for the short term, um, and maybe medium term, uh, because we feel there's a lot of work to be done here, and I think. Uh, Kenya is at a point where, you know, like everybody that runs a business or starts, when you have $10, you've got to decide where you want to put the $10. You can split it over three different things or you can put it all in one pot and try to do a good job within. Currently, our view and vision is that we've got two sites or two cities in Kenya, uh, which is typically more than most other countries. Um, and we feel that, you know, with our current strategy, we are we are better set on focusing on on on, on these on these cities that uh, that we have now developed and um, continue to work on. So, um, with that said, you just never know what the future holds. You know, things may change, um, and you know. But I, I feel we are still very focused and committed to making sure that uh, bedrock of what we're doing is still focused in, in East Africa. No, well, thank you for hosting me, and and uh, good good to see you again. <laughs> Thanks for tuning into the Pure Infrastructure Podcast. We've had a very interesting conversation with Pranjit Cherifel of Icolo um, on the data center market in Kenya in general um, and, I, and what Icolo's role in it in particular has been. Um, see you in two weeks.